I'm so glad you're here this morning. I just want to, I just speak God's blessing and his anointing over you this morning. I pray that he would break every yoke, everything that you're struggling with in life. I just pray that he would break every yoke and open every door. Now the Bible says that our God is able to open doors that no man can close and he's able to close doors that no man can open. And my prayer for you is that you would have an open door. We're going to be talking about that this morning. But before we do, I got a text from my son who's on his way to California this morning, he and Rocky, and he said, be in prayer for Brian Allerid's daughter. Her name is Chloe. Some of you have seen that, uh, and she has really been going through some serious, serious pain in and out of the hospital. So would you just stand with me this morning, and we just want to just, we just pray God's healing. I I just, you know, I, I'm a guy, you know, I, I know that, you know, some people just don't believe in healing anymore. Uh, they think that that passed away with the apostles, and they think that that passed, passed away with the New Testament church. But, I mean, frankly, I don't believe that because I see healing even before the New Testament. I see healing, I see God healing in the Old Testament. And I see after Jesus in the book of James, it says, is there any sick among you? And at the time that that was written, most of the apostles were already had been, you know, martyred for the Lord. So I just, you know, frankly, I believe in healing. And so I'm going to pray, you know, the, the, uh, the scripture says, uh, um, uh, according to your faith. And so according to our faith this morning, let's just pray for healing for this little girl. I'm, I'm not sure how old she is, maybe 12, 13 years old, but she's been going through it. And you know how it is as a parent, when your children are going through it, you go through it too, maybe even more. And so um, let's just take a moment and pray for those of you that don't know uh, Brian and his wife, uh, Mercy. They pastor a church in Albuquerque called Passion Church. And so let's just agree in prayer this morning. Father, we just ask you, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the great physician, that you would bring healing to Chloe this morning and that you would bring peace to Brian and and Mercy uh, Allered this morning. Father, as they're going through this just great trial with this uh, with, with their daughter and with this sickness that's going on in her life. But God, your word says in the Old Testament, in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, that you, Lord, forgive all of our iniquities, and you heal all of our diseases. Father, we just thank you that Jesus is called the, uh, the great physician. And the book of Malachi says, Let the Son of Righteousness overshadow you with healing in his wings. And we just pray that. We, we pray, Son of Righteousness. Jesus is the Son of Righteousness. Overshadow little Chloe this morning with healing in your wings, Lord, and bring healing and restoration to her body. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for agreeing with me in prayer. This morning as I, I got up, uh, I usually, uh, I, um, uh, I will be in prayer for pastor friends that I have and, and uh, ask for a word that I can give them so that they can start off their day right. And this morning, the scripture that came to me was out of, out of Zechariah, and it really fits with what I'm going to be sharing on this morning. But this is out of Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 3. And Joshua was the high priest during that time. Uh, Zechariah was the, was the prophet. Um, 
and, uh, and Joshua was a high priest. And it says, the scripture says, that I saw Satan standing before Joshua, the high priest, bringing accusations against him. And what that simply means is, is that God was pointing out, or, or that Satan was pointing out to God all of uh, Joshua, all of, his, all of his sins and all of his faults and all of his problems. And he's saying, you know, how could this guy be the high priest of Israel? Because look at all of his faults. Look, I mean, you know, he's got a problem with anger or he's got a problem with pornography or he's got a problem with lust or he's got a, a problem with idolatry. I mean, this is Satan bringing accusations to, you know, to God the Father. And that's what the Bible says. I think it's in Revelation chapter 12 where it says that, that he is the accuser of the brothers, and that's what he's doing to you. And when someone is constantly bringing accusations against you, you know, after a while you start to believe the lie, and you start to think that you're not good enough or you're not worthy enough, or maybe God that you've sent, you've gone so far that God cannot cannot or will not or he chooses not to forgive you. And so as a result of that, then you're not you know, doing what God has called you to do. If you're in this place where you, you know, you're feeling, you know, really bad about yourself, uh, then you're not able to do, you're, you're, you're handicapped. And that can be, you know, physically, we'll talk about this more later on, it can be emotionally, it can be physically, it can be spiritually. But I love what, uh, you know, what the angel of the Lord chooses to say, and the Lord says, the Lord says to Satan, I rebuke you, Satan, I have decided, listen to me, I have decided to be merciful. I've decided to be merciful to Joshua, the high priest. So bring all your accusations. I don't care what you say. I have decided to be merciful. But you know that there's another scripture in Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 22 and 23. And it says, and most of you know the scripture, it's a song that we used to sing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So I'm going to tell you that if God said that to Joshua the high priest, that I have decided to be merciful to him, I want you to know that God has decided because of the work on Calvary's cross and what Jesus has done for you and I, that He has decided to be merciful to us. And His mercies are new today. They are new every morning. They're new today. I don't care what you did yesterday. I mean, I care. It's not like I don't care about you. But, you know, God is not so much interested in what, what you've done and where you've been. He's kind of concerned about where your heart is right now, where you're headed this morning, the direction that you're facing this morning. And the fact that you were here this morning tells me that your heart is bent toward God. That, you, that you're choosing God this morning. Like Nina said, all of you, could, you could have stayed home, you could have stayed in bed, you could have gone fishing, doesn't sound like a bad idea. But, you know, it, I mean, there's so many things, other things that you could have done this morning, but the fact that you're here tells me that your heart is bent toward God, and I believe that God brought you here so that you could hear this word, that no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how deep you are, have fallen, or how far, how far you have fallen, that... God's mercies are new to you every morning.
they're new to you today. And that is just something that we should shout about. Amen? All right, let's shout about it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, we've been in the study in the book of Acts on the Holy Spirit and uh, winding this up today and kind of transitioning from uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, which I hope, if you've been here over the last four or five weeks, you understand that that God has given us, starting in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He told the disciples to go to, to go to Jerusalem and wait till you receive power from on high. And with that power, you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why you and I are saved this morning. That's why we've come to the Lord, is because uh, 12 men, 11 men at that time, were faithful, and they chose to go and listen to what the Lord said and uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit as a result of that. I believe today is Pentecost Sunday, isn't it? Is today Pentecost Sunday? All right, get the calendar out. Somebody better Google it before I make that proclamation. But I think that it is, all right? And so that's what happened. That's when the church was born, Pentecost Sunday. So we've been looking at Paul's life. We looked at <clears throat> Peter and James and John up until, you know, chapter 9. And then we see... Uh, the writer Luke kind of shift from Peter to uh, almost the entire rest of the book of Acts is about Paul and Silas or uh, Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Timothy and the missionary journeys and things that they had done. And last week we talked about the great storms of life, storms that you and I encounter, uh, you know, that we all go through storms in life. And we talked about how that for 14 days, I mean, they didn't see the sun, the moon, or the stars. And we know that if you're, you know, a captain, if you're a navigator uh, of a ship, that's how they navigated. You had to see, you had to, you had to see the, at least a sun or a star to know which direction you were going. We had that little map that was uh, on, on our overhead last week that showed the little ship, the poor little boat that they were in, 276 people just uh, drifting all over the ocean in a terrible hurricane. And uh, finally, the, the boat crashed just on the island called Malta. We'll pick up there. Well, uh, you know, they all got to the island safely. Uh, after the ship was battered, and uh, so Paul and, and uh, the centurion, Julius, I believe was his name, um, was with him, trying to, you know, wanting to spare uh, Saul's life or Paul's life, uh, told the other uh, soldiers not to kill the prisoners, but everybody swim ashore, and, and they get to shore, and it says that after we were brought safely through, then we learned that the island was called Malta. It's also called St. Paul's Island today. The native feet of people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire. You can imagine, you know, uh, cold weather, winter time. We know that it was after the fast, so, you know, it was probably October. could have even been November, uh, and they said it was way past the time that people should be sailing. That would have been the, the fast would have been the Day of Atonement. And um, so we know it was cold and it was raining, and, uh, you know, they're, they're coming out of this, you know, wet water. And it says that when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, poisonous snake, came out of the heat and fastened on to Paul's hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no, no harm. And they were all waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and so not, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. And it's just like people, you know, really. I mean, it's like one moment, you know, this guy is the, the worst sinner in the world to he's a god. 
Um, and it says, and now the in the neighborhood of that place uh, were the lands belonging to a chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius uh, lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed for him and put his hands on him and healed him. And when he had uh, taken, when and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came and were cured. They also honored us greatly when we were about to sail, and they put on board whatever we needed. And so, you know, as I read this, I, I was thinking, you know, all of the things that we've seen Paul go through, and I'm going to cover some of those here in a minute. Uh, because he, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but just recounting from the book of Acts. You know, we say, see, you know, from the very beginning, uh, every time he'd go into a town, you know, he was harassed by the, the Judaizers or those that were legalists, saying that you can believe in Jesus, but you have to do these other things in order to be saved. And circumcision was one of those. Keeping all of the law was one of those. They had the great council in, um, in Jerusalem where the... James and the apostles and disciples had come together and said, we don't want to put a burden on these people, on the Gentiles, uh, that we or our fathers weren't able to keep. And they talked about what they wanted them to do, not to drink blood, eat things that were strangled, uh, that had died from strangulation, or to, uh, to, and to avoid fornication. He said, these, if they do these three things, you know, um, it's fine. And, but if we think about Paul you know, thrown in prison, beaten, you know, uh, in, the, uh, uh, by the Philipp in the Philippian jail, this shipwreck, um, you know, uh, being almost stoned to death. And so let's just kind of cover it from 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul is giving an account, to, he's, he's uh, being, uh, the accusation against him is he's not really one of the apostles. And uh, we know that God, that Jesus met him on the Damascus Road and specifically called him. And uh, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Comparing himself to the other apostles. So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. That was 39 times. If you went more than more than 40, you would re receive the same amount of lashes yourself, so they always stopped one short. Uh, three times I was beaten with a rod, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I drift adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, that would be the Jews, the legalists, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brethren in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from other things. And there were the daily pressures on me of the, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Second Corinthians 11. And so, you know, as I read this, I begin to think, you know, really, is that, was all of that just, was that just life that was happening to Paul? Or was there some demonic influence in there as well? Well, when we go to 2 Thessalonians, we see that on one of these occasions, Paul's writing to uh, the church at Thessalonica. He said, I wanted to come to you, but, but Satan hindered us. And I'm going to just tell you 
that if you're going through a trial in your life, we all have trials in our life, but occasionally there are demonic influences that come against us that keep us, prevent us, and hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. We call that spiritual warfare. And if you don't recognize it, some of you, and, and myself included, some of us, will be hindered by the enemy and really prevented from doing what God has called us to do. So I want to just give you a, a very elementary introduction to this this morning, and then we'll continue on for the next couple of weeks talking about this. But I want you to see that there are two kingdoms. Number one, we have the kingdom of God. Number two, we have the kingdom of Satan. I want, I'm just going to show you this through the scripture. In Matthew chapter, most of us understand, most of you would understand that there is a kingdom of God. We understand that from the Lord's prayer when Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And so just right out, the, right out of the box, we see that God has a kingdom. And in the Old Testament speaks uh, often, you know, oftentimes about that kingdom, the kingdom of God, this kingdom, this thousand-year reign, this kingdom that is to come. But sometimes we get hung up on whether Satan has a kingdom. And in second, to, uh, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, we'll read that a demon-oppressed man, demon-oppressed man, and there's a difference between demon possession and demon oppression, okay? Possession means ownership, but the Bible tells us that you and I, if you're a Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed because you've been bought with a price. That's what Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, you've been bought, you've been purchased with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus. Uh, Peter also speaks about this, that you've been bought or you've been purchased not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but you've been purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb. So you've been bought. That means ownership. That means that Jesus owns you. But we're, we're going to see that even as believers, that men and women can be demon-oppressed. Uh, you can be oppressed or hindered by the enemy. It says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, and I believe that it was, uh, well, it's not this occasion, but I'll show you one in just a moment. A blind and, uh, and mute was brought, brought to him and healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And the people were amazed and said, Can this be, cannot this be the son of David? Or can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees, the religious leaders that didn't want anything to, with, to do with Jesus, that didn't believe in him and tried to prevent the people from following him, and believing in him. When they heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, then his, he is divided against himself. And his kingdom, listen to this, we talk about God's kingdom but his kingdom, Satan's kingdom, his, his kingdom will then not stand. He says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, the chief of, of demons, by whom do your sons and daughters, or by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But it, if the Spirit of God, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how will you enter into someone's house, a strong man's house, and plunder his goods, unless he is first, unless you first bind the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And so what that indication is that if you've been bound, if you've been hindered by the enemy, then the enemy will plunder your house. He will he will hinder you. He will keep you from doing what God wants you to do. So when we talk about Satan's kingdom, the question is, where is it? Where is Satan's kingdom? Well. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read you uh, two different versions of it, uh, two different translations. One is the English Standard, and the other one is from the Living Bible. This is, first of all, from the English uh, Standard. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, talking about our fight, the fight that you and I have. And he's writing to the, the church at Ephesus, and he said, we got a fight on our hands, folks. That's what he's saying. I've got a fight on my hands. You've got a fight on your hands. Well, what are we fighting for? I mean, you're fighting for, you know, not certainly not your salvation. You've already been saved. But you're fighting against these demonic attacks that come into your life, these bondages that come into your life. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, do not let the devil have a foothold in your life because it's with that foothold, it's with a foothold that the foothold becomes a stronghold. And so, you know, it just kind of grows out of that. I shared with some of you uh, not too long ago during World War II, when uh, the U.S. forces were invading Normandy and they were, you know, trying to get the, the enemy had a, I mean, they had built these bunkers and they had very, a very strong stronghold against the Allied forces that were trying to come in. But the, our, our, our troops and allies, you know, hit that beach and, and they just, if they could just get a foothold in the beach, on the beach, and it was with the foothold that they were able to overcome the stronghold. The same is true spiritually. So he says here, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, listen to this, rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now I know you're thinking right now, but I thought that God threw Satan out of heaven. And it's true. He did. But let's read on just a little bit further. We'll come back and I'll explain that to you. He says, last of all, this is the same scripture. Last of all, from the Living Bible. Last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. So when, you're, when you are fighting a spiritual battle, it's not you in your flesh fighting a spiritual battle. It's the Spirit of God that is within you that's fighting the spiritual battle. He says that your strength comes from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on the armor of God that you will be able to stand safe against the strategies and the tricks of Satan. For we are not fighting against people, listen to this, made of flesh and blood, but against persons, persons without body and evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world against huge numbers of wicked spirit in the spirit world. And so when we talk about heaven, and the Bible speaks about it, there's no distinction. It's the same word is used over and over again. And all you have to do is go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens, and that is plural, and the earth, singular. So he created the heavens. And the Bible speaks about three levels of heaven. 
and, and I'll show you that in just a moment. One is the heavens, the atmosphere that the birds of the air fly in. Above that, the, the universe, the, the, the stars, and, and the sun and the moon, the stars, and all of the, the, the starry hosts that we see at night. And then above that is called a third heaven. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I know a man, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up into the third, listen, the third heaven. And logic would tell you that if there is a third heaven, then obviously there has to be a first and a second heaven as well. Okay? So this man is caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Okay, he's in the third heaven, and he also calls the third heaven paradise. But remember the man that was on the cross that was dying with Jesus? And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? And so the, uh, Paul talks about third heaven being paradise. Jesus saying to this thief on the cross that when he dies, that, that very day, the Bible tells us that when, you're, when, you're, when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, you know, that there is some place in that, you know, in between, in that heaven, in that heavenly area, and we know that, that he is here on this earth. He was cast out of heaven and into this earth. So he doesn't have the access to the throne that he used to have. It used to be that he was in the very presence of God. You know, he was uh, called the, the, uh, one of the archangels, that he was a worship leader in heaven, uh, led worship with, with, uh, with other, this other host of angels that was cast down with him. Revelation tells us that one-third of the stars or one-third of the angels fell with him when he was thrown out of heaven. So what does that mean? That means that still two-thirds are there. And so it's two against one, if you're ever concerned about that. We've got two that are for you and maybe one that is for against you. But it doesn't make any difference because we think that, you know, uh, someone said that they saw a, uh, a picture of Jesus and Satan in an arm wrestling match. And it was like at a standstill. You know, it was just like nobody was winning. Satan couldn't beat him and Satan, Jesus couldn't beat Satan. But but that is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous because when God decides to throw Satan into the lake of fire, you know, he doesn't say, he doesn't roll up his sleeves and like, man, I, man this is going to be a tough job. I'm going to get this done. No, God stays seated on the throne. And Jesus is seated on the throne right next to him, the right hand of the Father. And so God just says, you know what? This is it. I'm done. It's over. Um, send an angel over there and throw him into the lake of fire. I love what Robert Moore says about that. He says, well, Lord, which one should we send? And the Lord says, well, send the new guy. <laughs> you know, because he says, and just make sure that you say in Jesus' name. Because, you know, there is no comparison to the strength of God versus the strength of the enemy. However, living here in this earth, on this earth, and in this time, sometimes we wonder, God, where is your power? Isn't that what Gideon said? God, where are your mighty signs and wonders? 
You know, where's the power that we used to see? And I, I think that you and I need to be crying out. That's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. All right. So two, two main reasons, two, the, the two big points that I'm going to make today, that Satan wants to hinder God's people and he wants to hinder God's purpose. And we see that in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, and just a little history on the book of Daniel, the children of Israel sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned against God and he would set them free and another nation would come in and take them captive and they would sin against God again. Another nation would come against, uh, come against them and, and take them captive and they would cry out to God and God would you know, set them free. But on and on it goes until the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the, uh, and the, uh, uh, the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel is one of the Hebrew uh, children that is taken captive. But God is speaking to him, and God, even in the midst of his enemies, has raised him to second in command of the nation. And, uh, um, and, but Daniel's heart is burdened. And I'm going to tell you guys, I, I believe that if there is a sin in the church today, and I was just sitting, and you know, I was in the airport yesterday as we were flying back, back and I was sitting in a chair, and I was just watch, watching just hundreds, if not thousands of people walking by, and I thought, God, where are they going? Not, not, not their destination in the airport, but I thought, Lord, where are they going eternally? Where, where I mean, just thousands. I'm just a wave of people. Do they know you? Do any of them know you? Or any of them saved? You know, and Lord, and we just, we watch people go by like that. And I have to tell you, guys, that in this world that we live in, I think our hearts have become desensitized and we don't really, all right, I'm going to say it. And some of you are going to send me an email. But I don't care. Because we don't give a damn. We watch people go by, and we just could care less. We watch them go by, and we watch them go by, and our hearts are not broken for those people that are lost. And you know what? It's gone beyond just the world. You know, we have people that you and I have people in our very own families that are lost. And, and I think about, Man, our, our hearts should be broken. We should be weeping. We should be crying. Remember what God told the prophet Joel? He said, man, don't, don't, don't tear your clothes. Don't put on the sackcloth. You know, rend your heart. Rend your heart and not your garment. It's not about tearing clothes. That, that can be a religious exercise. It can be just like us. We can be standing up. I don't care. You can be standing up in service and holding your hands, and your mind can be having the, the deepest, darkest, depraved thoughts ever. Holding your hands up does not mean you're worshiping God. Kneeling down does not mean that you're worshiping God. It doesn't mean it's coming from the heart. God is looking at the heart. He's looking at your heart. And, and so, you know, he's looking at our heart, and we're watching all of these people just move through life, and we really, it's like, you know, we've become desensitized, and we think, we either get to the point where we think, God, it doesn't matter, they're not going to get saved anyway, they're beyond the reach of your arm, and your arm's not going to be able to save them. I mean, they're, they're in the heroin. God, did you know they're in the heroin? Uh, she's a prostitute now. She, she's selling herself. God, she's beyond being saved. I don't believe that. I'm not buying that because I'm looking at my life and I know where I came from 
And I know what I've done. And I know how bad I've been and how wicked and evil I've been. And God still looked down and said, my mercies are new this morning for you, son. My mercies are new this morning for you. If you'll just get a hold of them, I'll change your life. And I'll break Satan's power in your life. And the things that you said, and I told God, I tell him, you know what? I'm going to be rolling these things for the rest of my life. I'm going to be smoking this until I die. This is good stuff. God said, no, you're not. I'm rolling you. If you're not careful, I'm going to smoke you. But so, so the history is that Daniel, and this is how I got here, that Daniel is just broken hearted. His people are in captivity. They were in a physical captivity, but guys, as we look around, we see hundreds and thousands of people that are in captivity day after day after day. It doesn't make any difference what sin it is. They are in bondage, and the enemy has got them right where they, he wants them because they're not doing what God wants them to do. And we need to pray that God would come in and break Satan's power off of them. That's what Jesus said. The work of the ministry, when Jesus showed up in Luke chapter 4, and the first message he, he pre preached was out of Isaiah 61, I believe. And he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, is upon me. And he sent me, he's anointed me to preach the good news, to open up the prison doors, to open up those that are in prison by Satan to set the captives free, open those doors up and let those people go and let them really experience what life is about. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to be in bondage to these things. And God's saying, you know what? If you'll just ask me, if you'll just let me, if you'll let me come in, I'll, I'll, I'll set you free. I'll unshackle you and let you be the man and woman I've called you to be. And that's what he's wanting to do. And so, amen, amen, thank you, Lord. And so Daniel is just crying before the Lord, and he's weeping before the Lord. And he said, God, look at them. This is your people. These are your people. We could say the same thing today, guys. We're not in, we're not in a physical Babylon, but we're in a spiritual Babylon. And, and, and when our hearts get to the place where we're like Daniel, and we're saying, God, look at your people. Look at your people. For your great name's sake, God. For, the, for your great name's sake. And for your people's sake. You know, by, the Word of God says, God says, I will not neglect the cry of the afflicted. I hear their cry. I'm hearing their cry. And all he's saying, you know, I want you. I want, I, I want you to cry out for them, for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your husbands and, and for your children's children and your nephews and aunts and uncles. I want you to stand in the gap. He says in the Old Testament, I, looked for, I was looking for one person. I, he said, I looked all over the whole world for one person and I couldn't find, I couldn't find not even one person that would stand in the gap to cry out and intercede for these people or my nation. And see, God's still looking. The eyes of the Lord are still going to and fro throughout the, the whole world looking for those whose hearts are right before him so he can show himself strong on your behalf. And you want to see people saved, you start pay, praying for people to be saved. Now, you're going to start seeing them be saved because God says he's not willing that any should perish because, you know, that's his heart. And if that's his heart, that should be our heart too. And so Daniel, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting through this. Come on, come on, get it, move it on, Ron. All right, and so, so Daniel, you know, is crying out. He's just heartbroken over his people being in captivity. And he starts this fast, what we call the Daniel fast. Some of you have even done this fast. It's not a, I mean, he avoids wine and he avoids uh, meat and he's just kind of like a basic diet, just a very elementary diet. 
and he's fasting and he's crying out to God. This angel appears to him and says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself, that was through fasting, before your God, your words have been heard. He says, and I have come because of your words. I've heard your words. I heard your words and God sent me. And the prince of the kingdom, now here's where, here we go. Now this is, we're talking about these princes of the power of the air. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the, with the king of Persia. So what he was saying is I was in a battle. I had a fight on my hand. I heard your prayers and I was coming, but the prince of Persia withstood me and was preventing me from getting, you, getting to you to answer your prayers. Now, why would the prince of Persia, I want you to think about this, you know, uh, why would the prince of Persia withstand uh, Michael and this angel? Well, Persia was going to be the next king. They were getting ready to, uh, over, it was Persia, and then it was Greece, and then it was, it was the Greeks, and then it was Rome. There was, you had these kingdoms that followed. But the king of, of Persia, Anybody remember his name? Huh? Huh? Cyrus? Another name. Darius? Darius. Okay. But see, God had already called Darius by name. And listen to this. I mean, it's kind of interesting in the political times that we're in because we're thinking... Well, I'm not voting for him, and I'm not voting for her, and I'm, I'm just mad I'm not voting for anybody. But here comes the prince, the king of Persia. Listen to me. The king of Persia, who's not a believer in God, but God's saying, I am going to use the king of Persia to release my people from Babylon. And that's exactly what he did. He shows up. Nebuchadnezzar and his grandchildren are all overrun. Uh, the king of Persia comes in, and one of the first things that he does is he writes a decree and says, let the children of Israel get out of here. Let them go home. Let them go back. I'm releasing them. Don't even, he doesn't even believe in God. He's not a servant of God. But God is using him. God is using an ungodly man. He's using a man that doesn't believe like you believe, and he's using him to set his captives free. And so that was the battle. And so Satan, you know, uh, with the prince of Persia, is saying, saying, stop this. Do not let this guy come in. Do not let, you know, do not let this king of Persia come in. I want to keep these people in bondage. I want to keep them so that they, they can't go back and rebuild the temple. I don't want them worshiping. I don't want them coming, you know, worshiping me. So break, break, you know, break the power. Hold them, hold them there. Keep them in bondage. And then it says, and uh, we continue in chapter 10, it says, Then he said, Don't be frightened, Daniel, for your request has been uh, heard in heaven and answered the very day that you began to fast and pray to the Lord and pray to understand that very day I was sent here to meet you. But 21 days 
that mighty evil spirit who overrules the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the top officials of the, heaven, of, of the heavenly army, came to help me so that I was able to break through these spirits of rulers of Persia. And now I'm here to tell you what will happen to your people, the Jews, at the end times. For the fulfillment of this prophecy is many years away. And then he goes on to say, and then he says, Do you know why I have come? But now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So there was an, every, every area, it's, it's like Satan has an assignment. You know, there's assignment over our nation. There's assignment over our state. And there's assignment over our city. And so we need to pray. This is what spiritual warfare is about. And their assignment is to keep you and the church from being the church and you from being the man and woman that God has called you to be. It says that uh, in Capernaum, uh, it says that they went, Jesus and the disciples went to, to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching. And, there, and they were astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, he cried out, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, you holy one of God. How'd they know? They were in heaven with him before they were cast out of heaven. Uh, I know you, holy one of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And, um, you know, today uh, we might throw, instead of, you know, throwing the demon or casting the demon out of the man, we might cast the man, you know, a lot of churches would just cast the man out of the church. We can't deal with this. We can't handle this. We don't know how to deal with this. But, you know, the, the scripture says that, uh, and I want you to notice this. We're just about to wrap this up from Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, uh, Mark chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 28 are very similar. Uh, it's where he's giving them the final instruction. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, and I'm giving it to you. And he says to them, I want you to go into the, uh, the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whosoever believes in me and, ba and is baptized will be saved, but whosoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, now notice this, these signs will accompany those that believe in my name. And notice what the first one is. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not doing miracles. It's not raising the dead. It says, and in my name, they will cast out demons. It's the first thing, the very, very first of the signs. And it says, then he says, and they will speak in tongues. I'm not diminishing or speaking lightly of the other gifts. I'm just saying that this is something that the church, I believe, has been neglectful of that, and that we have personally. When you get into a place of bondage, when you know, you're, in, you're in, in very you know, bad health or there's something that's come against your finances, or something that's come against you, just a, a, a sin that you can't seem to overcome. Um, you know, it's just, you know, these are spiritual strongholds. And you need the power and the anointing to, of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Word of God and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus to take authority over every dark and unclean spirit and break the enemy's power in your life. That's what God wants us to do. And if you can't do that by yourself, then you get with someone that can pray with you. You come to the leadership. There are a lot of people in here that have experience in spiritual warfare that are not afraid. You don't have to, let me tell you, you do not have to be afraid. Let me just assure you of that. He says that uh, in, 
in the, in the book of, uh, of Luke in chapter 10, when the 70, no, it wasn't just notice this, it says, when the 70 returned, and this kind of dispels that argument that this was only for the, the 12, but it says, when the 70 returned, it says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. And he says, don't rejoice in this. He says, I've given you power over all of the enemy, and you don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of anything because, you know, greater, listen to this, greater is he that is in you. That's, that's Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit than he that is in the world, speaking about the demonic, this demonic realm. You do not have to fear this demonic realm. You've been bought. You've been paid for by the precious blood of the Lamb, and Jesus owns you. However, since Jesus owns you, and Satan cannot get to God because God is much more powerful than he is, the only thing that he can do that hurts God, that breaks God's heart, is try to get to you. He wants to get to you to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. I want you to stand. I'm going to pray with you right now. And uh, I just want to, uh, if, if you feel anything at all, just you know, from the word this morning, you feel any hindrance uh, in your life and you know, just feel like, God, I've been stuck in this spot. And some of you have been stuck for months and, and years in the same spot. You know, maybe it's not just the flesh. Maybe there is somehow the enemy has got a stronghold in your life and he's trying to hinder you from being all that God wants you to be. And if that's the case this morning, you can just say, and, and I want you to think, you know, deeply about this. I mean, something that's reoccurring and keeps coming back over and over and over again. And we talked about how Merrill, he's not here this morning, but he was talking about this reoccurring dream that he had. And he felt like it was very evil and demonic, but he'd have it on a regular basis. And he said that when we prayed for him, he has not had that dream since. And so some of you are dealing with fear, and maybe some of you are dealing with unforgiveness. And remember what Matthew chapter 18 says, that if you don't forgive your brother when he sins against you, then God won't forgive you when you sin against him. And then it talks about, at the end, of he gives the example of the man that owed this huge amount of money and, and the master forgave him. And then that man, in turn, went to someone that owed him very little money and began to choke him and beat him. And then when the master heard what he had done, it says that he grabbed him and delivered him to the tormentors. And so to being tormented is a sign of, demonic oppression so if you're going through something in your life that's reoccurring uh, health issue financial issue I mean he can hinder and try to block your finances and financial blessing in your life uh, your health issues something that just keeps reoccurring over and over and over again there can be it can be uh, in in your mind in your emotions it can be spiritually it can be physically any of those areas where you feel that you've been hindered or you feel like the enemy is trying to block you from being all that God's called you to be. You can just, just in the quietness now of your heart, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we'll talk more about this next week. But for right now, for those that want to be free, remember Jesus said that whosoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. And if you want to be free, you can just simply say, 
Father, if there's any area of darkness in my heart or in my life, just in the quietness of your heart, you can just say, I rebuke that. I rebuke darkness in Jesus' name. In him, speaking about Jesus, is life and light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. And so, Father, I just ask that you would replace anything that's dark in my life. Every, every hindering spirit, every spirit of darkness, I rebuke and renounce in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Father, that you would flood me with your life and with your light and with your Holy Spirit. God, you are a good God. Your mercies are new every morning. We love you so much. We bless you and praise you. And it says, the scripture says that shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Are there shouts of joy and victory here this morning? Amen. Amen. So bless the Lord. God bless you guys. You guys have a great week. I love you. Be the light of the world.